Hey there, Social Impactors. Welcome back to another episode of On Social Impact, the podcast that champions and celebrates the social impact businesses in Ontario. We're a few episodes in, and I'm absolutely loving my guests. They've got these amazing stories. They're running amazing companies, doing incredible things, not just in Ontario, not just in Canada, but around the world as well. And I hope you can really tell how passionate they are. Every time I speak to them, they just get more and more into what they're saying and what they're doing. So this is a labour of love. This is a labour of passion for me, and I'm loving bringing these stories to you. So I've got a tiny favour. If you get a moment, just one moment, could you give this podcast a rating wherever you listen to it? It will help other people to discover it. That's not the important bit. What I really, really want everyone else to discover are my guests. I want them to get those conversations going. I want them to find out everything they can about the businesses that I'm able to feature here. The more connections we can make, the more stories we can tell, the more good we're going to be able to do in the world. So that's it. That's me for the moment. I've got a wonderful guest for you this week. I was really excited to talk to him and he gave me such a generous interview. I'll check back in with you at the end. Sit back and enjoy. So my name is Stephen Bourne. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ripple Farms. Uh, we're a vertical farming uh, organization, actually a social enterprise uh, based in Toronto. Uh, started about two years ago, uh, just over two years ago. Uh, with our pilot project, myself and Brandon Heber, the co-founder, uh, he's the biologist on the business, uh, so we, we go together pretty well. And uh, we actually started with our pilot project at Evergreen Brickworks. Uh, we both uh, kind of sunk our, our life savings into this pilot project, um, sheer out of kind of sheer passion and, and shared motivation. Um, we, we truly love the agricultural industry, specifically aquaponics, uh, really got us into it. And uh, we got that up and running uh, November 14th, 2016. That uh, was the first day we actually put the uh, shipping container on the ground. Wow. And uh, that was uh, pretty much the, the first first day of uh, our, our dream come true. So. Oh, amazing. So, yeah, so this is still really fresh then for you. I mean, you've mentioned aquaponics, you've mentioned vertical farming. For anyone listening who's not familiar with those, can you explain a bit about them? Absolutely. So vertical farming has kind of blown up over the last, I'd say, decade, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, it, it comes in many forms. So, uh, really, it, I guess the, the most traditional form for, for vertical farming, the terminology is hydroponics. Uh, so hydroponics being uh, kind of a synthetic chemical acting as your nutrients being introduced in your water, uh, which is your soil. Um, so it, most of uh, vertical farming is aquatic soils uh, opposed from the traditional sense of, of um, biodynamic farming and soil and, and permaculture and all those good methods. Uh, there's also the bad methods of, of soil production, which is kind of cash cropping using Again, uh, petro-based chemicals for uh, for increased production, which is a detriment to our soil and our earth. But uh, we won't get into that today. <laughs> um, so uh, again, uh, back to vertical farming uh, it comes in many forms. There's aeroponics, uh, hydroponics, aquaponics, which is uh, something we do really well. Um, there's there's many other forms. I actually heard of something the other day. Uh, just came out recently. It's called dryponics. Um, I don't think they use water, but I still can't fathom how that actually works. Okay. Um, I'm not too too concerned because uh, I do really, I, 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 me and uh, myself and my business partner really believe in aquaponics as as the future of food. Um, it, it does come in many forms, so it, it's not one size fits all. It's going to take a collaboration of every farmer in in every kind of. Uh, method uh, to actually combat food security issues on a global scale. Uh, so that's us working with our soil partners to grow things that we can't grow. 
um, even with our hydroponic competitors and, and saying, hey, guys, like the, the market's big enough. Uh, there's a sheer demand for it. Uh, we're trying to feed 9 billion people by 2050. Let's work together here. Um, <laughs> but, but going back to aquaponics, uh, we, we truly think it's more of a sustainable way of growing. Uh, we're essentially raising two different ecosystems, uh, one being aquaculture, uh, so we're the, the raising of fish, uh, and the second being hydroponics. Uh, so <laughs> I know that gets a little bit difficult uh, to <laughs> comprehend because I just said hydroponics was a synthetic chemical base, um, but it, it, in the true form of hydroponics is just um, soilless agriculture. Uh, okay. So we're talking about aquatic soils. Um, but uh, that method, we, we actually tie our, our fish effluent into the hydroponic system to actually feed our plants. So very simply, uh, our fish uh, poop, we convert that poop through a filtration process uh, from uh, ammonia, nitrite to nitrate. Uh, nitrate is in the, uh, the main macronutrient for these plants. Uh, plants actually uptake these nitrates and, and filter the water, if you will, um, air quotations. <laughs> and uh, it actually goes back down to the, the fish. Uh, so that's a very, very simple uh, kind of diagram of, of what happens in our system. Uh, but the most important part to, to realize here is it's a, it's a true closed loop system. Okay. Uh, so at the end of the day, we don't have to discharge any effluent. Um, the, the one we, we do clean our filtration tanks and, and by cleaning our filtration tanks, we simply get uh, some of the, uh, the sediment, uh, the, uh, the, the fish poop, uh, the solids and the uneaten fish feed. We take that out of the system every, every month. Uh, just to cleanse the system, make sure it's running smoothly. Uh, but but the byproduct is is actually good fertilizer for soil based crops. Okay. Um, so it is truly a recirculating system. We never have to completely flush out our system and then it reintroduce water. Uh, there's top up water, but um, that's what I I mean about closed loop systems. Whereas hydroponics um, with synthetic chemicals, you actually have to cleanse your system about uh, every two weeks to a month. Uh, wow. So you have to flush the entire system, and and that has actually led to uh, in, in, and specifically in, in Leamington, uh, there's a concentration of greenhouses using using uh, hydroponics in the chemical sense, and uh, that's actually directly correlated to the algae blooms in uh, Lake Erie. Uh, so there's uh, some uh, some government officials uh, that are, are really cracking down on that. Something does need to change uh, because it, it is a detriment to our environment, and um, that it, on the mass scale, it's it, it's it's not going to be good going forward. So, uh, using solutions like aquaponics uh, could be uh, favorable in the future. Wow. Okay. I mean, it does sound like say like a closed loop zero waste system, which is is fantastic. And we hear so much about obviously needing to reduce our impact on the environment and reduce what we use. So having something that's closed loop and zero waste, it sounds completely sustainable and, to be honest, the way forward. And, and one of my big, hairy, audacious goals as a, as a CEO or co-founder, um, I, I really want to be a net positive company in the future. Um, I, I don't think people are, are some people are crazy enough to have that goal uh, in this day and age, but uh, it is one of my goals. I, I truly want to expel more oxygen than I, I, I produce carbon, and uh, that, that could open doors for us. Um, and, and possibly working with some big companies like auto manufacturers or Bombardier or whatever it is uh, to actually help mitigate uh, their PhD emissions uh, with, with our net positive emissions. Um, so it's, it, it, it might open some doors, um, kind of a young company thinking uh, broadly, but uh, either way, I, I think people can get behind this style of business, um, looking into the future of, okay, I, I actually care about our planet. I, I care what plan I'm leaving my kids. Uh, that, that's a really easy angle to, to get people on is <laughs> what are your kids going to be taking from you uh, when, when they're our age? Um, so it's, uh, yeah, that's hopefully the future of uh, many more businesses. 
fantastic. There's there's nothing better than a big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So c- can you talk a little bit about your current setup? Obviously, you said you started um, November 14th, 2016. How many sites have you got? What do they look like? How many tanks and so on? So uh, we, we started with the pilot project at Evergreen Brickworks. Uh, so again, uh, November 14, 2016, we popped that on the ground, uh, custom fabricated that. Uh, myself and Brandon, uh, the co-founder, built that with our own four hands, um, really setting the stage for um, what could be in the future. So uh, could this type of system uh, go into northern communities or food deserts and actually grow food or educate people on how to grow food or use this system in different kind of envelopes um so that was really a, we, we always kind of joke to ourselves that it's built built canadian strong uh, it can withstand uh, kind of any any temperature any external environment and uh, it, it has um there was uh, a day last year i think it was minus minus 35 uh outside and, and we were still uh cruising at uh, i think it was 15 degrees celsius in the greenhouse and, awesome. um it's uh, some a bit of proprietary on, on how we actually make those two ecosystems work together favorably um, not only to, to grow food, but the internal and external environment play such huge roles. And uh, I don't think it's it's something many, many people think about. Um, it's definitely a new thing in the, in the vertical farming or controlled environment um, industry. Um, but once we got that up and running, <clears throat> it was a great success. Uh, we, we deployed our, our three main pillars, which are education, innovation, and local food, um, really hitting home on that education. Um, really, the the, the first unit was was small scale. We never planned on on uh, growing enough food to feed a city in, in a twenty foot ship container with a greenhouse on top. Um, that's it, it wasn't the purpose of it. It was really stepping stone to what's possible. And so we were really doing a lot of education through this. Uh, I think we taught about um, two thousand people over the, the the first summer there, and we're ramping up for much more education this summer. Actually, uh, having specific modules for people to pick and choose from, doing a lot more school groups. Um, even individuals who are looking to get it on a commercial scale. Um, so that's really driven the, the business case of these small-scale systems. But um, Seneca College, uh, the Newnham campus, uh, President David Agnew actually um, kind of took an eye to, to what we were doing. And I think Seneca really wanted a more of a, a green approach. Uh, they saw their their students asking for it. And as, as any good kind of president or, or um, company, uh, they really uh, they, they take notice and, and they took a step forward. They, they, I'll say they took a leap uh, with us, a leap of faith, and said, you know what, Ripple Farms, uh, we'd love to have one of your containers on site uh, to really showcase the possibilities here. Um, not only growing food for our cafeteria and, and our students' uh, student body, uh, which it is, it, it's actually from farm to fork, it's 0.02 kilometers. I did the math one day. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it really is an educational model as well. So we've uh, successfully tied into a school curriculum. Uh, we did an ICE challenge the other day with uh, 75 high school students, uh, which actually amazed me. We were really we still very much in tune with, uh, with what's happening there. So we were on the ground, the whole team. Um, educating, giving some pitches to uh, to these students, and we kind of backed off at the end of the day, and um, <clears throat> they, uh, they they drummed up their own ideas for how to solve these food security issues and, and feed nine billion people by twenty fifty. And some of the ideas that came about from these high school students were astonishing. Like they took concepts of, of what we were talking about, but blew them up and in, into really issues like real solutions that tackled issues in the in, in the market today and and i i wrote them all down <laughs> <laughs> instead of 
that I'll give you credit if we uh, are able to deploy these. But uh, if, if you want to be an entrepreneur, give us a shout. We'll give you some advice and uh, help, help leverage our networks to, to get going because I think it's really important. I always throw the stat out is less than 2% of our population go into farming these days. And our average age of a farmer in Canada is about 52 years old. Mm-hmm. And so really everything we do is uh, going back to our three pillars, education, innovation, and local food. We need to inspire people to get into this industry. Uh, I don't care if there are competitors. There's plenty of market out there. Um, we need to work together collaboratively um, to actually tackle these issues. And we, honestly, we can't do it alone. I, I wish I could I could be selfish and say I'm going to be the next Amazon of urban agriculture and, and tackle all the issues myself. But it's, it's not the case. It, it's a heavy infrastructure play. It takes a lot of capital to do it. And we're two young guys with not a lot of money. What we do have is uh, social capital, and we're, we're leveraging that as much as we can and, and really getting the movement started. And hopefully we can start in Toronto and then kind of expand uh, different provinces in Canada and then hopefully the globe. Um, so we have a, a great network uh, around the – around. I'll say the globe. We, we know a lot of people, but uh, it, it's, it's starting to happen. So it's, uh, it's putting a smile on our face, and, and hopefully we can inspire the right people. Fantastic. I mean, you certainly had some some great media coverage, which is available on your website. So it does look like the the news is getting out there. And yeah. I think there's from reading I've been doing, I'm really interested in kind of urbanism and sustainability. And those those ideas of vertical farming, urban agriculture are starting to permeate through culture. So it really sounds like you're actually at the forefront of a movement, which I I think is hugely inspiring, hugely exciting. I hope so. It's really fascinating where you're where you're coming from, what you're doing. What was the sort of magic spark? Where did that strong drive of social mission come from in, in the beginning? I'd say personally it was, uh, I, I went to Trent University, I did my BBA. Um, I, I, I knew I, 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 was, I had that mind for business. Um, it's been something that I've done all my life. I, it sounds funny, I, I think I mentioned this in my CBC article, but um, I, I started when I was like, I think it was like six years old, starting to shovel uh, people's driveways and like rake people's lawns, and and nobody told me to do that. I just I I, I wanted to make money as a as an entrepreneur. I didn't want to take take uh, take commands from anyone else. And I think when I was six years old, I just wanted to buy candy. But um, <laughs> I kind of developed into this entrepreneurial spirit. And furthermore, from that, I, I went to Trent University. I studied business. Um, got a kind of a, a bug for sustainability it was absolutely fantastic campus and uh really they, they tout about their small class sizes and it's completely true um great great community and it really I was, I was able to develop what i wanted to do in life um to an extent um but it was it was really driven by behind sustainability and there's a few stories behind that but really it was uh after i graduated i I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I, I didn't think I wanted to be in, in agriculture. Um, I had all of these ideas. I, I started writing business proposals about different things that I had interest in. Uh, ended up going to Seneca College for a, a postgraduate degree. And uh, I, I finished that up. I, I got a full-time job and, and still mulling over what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to tackle tackle a big issue in the world. Um, but it wasn't until I actually met Brandon, uh, the co-founder. I, so I, I didn't actually know him uh, before. I was actually brought together uh, in kind of a meeting with, with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Brandon and I. And uh, she wanted to start a consulting firm in a cap-and-trade system. Because uh, at the time, it was, it was kind of coming about that uh, the cap-and-trade system was going to be a big thing. And um, there was a, a lot, lot to do in it. Um, after a few meetings, I 
I knew we were a little bit young to be in the consulting game. There's going to be a lot more people that uh, have the ability to uh, kind of get those contracts other than a couple young people. So Brandon, at, at one of the end of, at end of the meetings, he, uh, he, he pulls out this picture. And it was out of sheer passion and, and just um, giddiness, I'll say. He, he wanted to show me this picture. And so it was, uh, it was a picture of this, uh, this little pilot project he had. It was a hydroponic, aquaponic uh, kind of system that he had built. And he was growing food in it. And he actually said, hey, look at this hydroponic system. And I said, wait a second, is that hydroponics or aquaponics? He's like, holy shit, it's aquaponics. <laughs> I just didn't think anybody knew about aquaponics. Um, so I, I kind of giggled to myself and uh, I kind of in my mind already had uh, a business proposal written up a year prior for what Ripple Farms is today. And so at the beginning of the next meeting, I, I slapped this thing on, on the table. His eyes popped out of his head. And uh, he, that, that was pretty much the first day of Ripple Farms. We, uh, we, we kind of bonded over, over a like mind of tackling real, real issues, real tangible issues. And uh, really the, the, the medium there was just growing local food uh, with aquaponics. And so uh, it, it's been a good ride so far. Uh, we haven't cut off each other's heads yet. Um, <laughs> I think we work pretty well together. He, he's biologist on business. Um, so it's, a, it's very complimentary. And, and I think a lot of people... Even our, our investors that uh, that have approached us, um, they they want to invest in us, not Ripple Farms. Uh, it's truly you gotta bleed from your heart and and um, what you do and, and what your values are. It's you can't just be out there to make money uh, these days. You gotta. It, it's not about even the unique selling point of your company. At the end of the day, it's it's about the founders and and where they're going with it. Um, no matter what industry or company you're in. Uh, I think that's very important to not only your investors, but every stakeholder part of the company. No, I agree. Um, and I think it sounds, again, brilliant that you've got this complementary partnership between yourself and Brandon. I, I wonder in other social impact businesses, or actually in any other entrepreneurial situation, if you've got two people who come from the same place, whether it's yeah. two biologists or two marketers or whatever, that eventually they might overlap to such a degree that they actually fall apart. But it sounds like you've got a really strong, sustainable structure for the future there. Yeah, and I, I, like I've had small companies before uh, in the past, and uh, I have a lot of friends, obviously, now um, in this space, uh, a lot of entrepreneurial friends, and some are in partnerships, and they're, they're just nitpicking and like really angry and, and fighting with their business partner. And, I, and it, it just, I can't even fathom how that works. Like you, you have to be 110% with your business partner all the time. Yeah, there could be little spats here and there, but uh, you really, you have to be on your game because if, if the two founders or three founders, whatever it is, aren't at 110%, then it's going to show in the company. And the, at the end of the day, it's, it's down to those founders keep pushing and pushing and pushing uh, no matter the size of the company. Absolutely. I mean, again, really interesting. You're talking about um, leading from the heart and having that belief in the founders. So when you're going to speak to investors, how do you and Brandon stop it becoming all about you? Because it sounds you've got this bigger social mission. So how how is it not the Stephen and Brandon show? How do you sell people into that bigger story? I, I don't know if I have a solution to that. Uh, <laughs> I think it, it has fallen into our laps in a sense where, especially the media, I, I think they, they do like our story. That happens a lot. We get approached for our story. And I think myself and Brandon do have uh, a, a good pitch to ourselves and, and we do pitch competitions and it, it just works out nicely. And uh, But I agree, it's it's 
at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's, it's something we've started, but it's everyone around us. And uh, even before we started uh, the company, we uh, even before the, the November 14, 2016 date where we put the container on the ground and started building, before that date, we, we didn't spend a dollar. We went around to every single person we knew um, and not, not for money. It was, it was really for in-kind, in-kind support. Uh, so any stakeholder that might give a shit about what we're doing, really even stopping people on the side of the street and, and saying, hey, what do you think about this? And, and really, I, I think we probably talked to a couple hundred people in, in the span of like a month or two. And that, that one kind of stint of effort uh, has paid off so many dividends um, in, in the, the recent time. Um, the time that we actually need it, um, the time that we need in kind support, not, not even financial support, but yes, financial support. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it's paid huge dividends for us. And, and I think that's the success. And, and it really is going back to that's who Ripple Farms is. Uh, it, we're just the face of it. And sure, we can, we can pitch our hearts out and, and we can look good and we can do it, be in CBC articles. But really, it's, it's about the team you don't see. It's about the people who drive us, who motivate us. Uh, to keep going and it's uh, it, it really is a team effort and, and we should showcase them a lot more but uh, unfortunately CBC doesn't like uh, showcasing everyone uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much airtime, right <laughs> yeah okay cool and I mean it sounds again like you're a really strong values driven company how do you live those values and ensure that your social mission stays absolutely at the front of everything that you do I think uh, it, it's really every decision you make um, even in your daily life, um, to what what pencils you buy for the office, it, it sounds silly, um, but really, it's it's showcase it's it's mirroring your values to your employees and, and people around you. Um, really, what you're what you're trying to do in the long run. Um, so, yeah, it, it sounds silly, but buying pencils like, are you gonna be buying? And the pencils is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, like a coffee cup, like yeah. buying coffee. That's a great example. Um, so when you're buying coffee, I, I drink a lot of it to, to stay up at night. Um, are you are you bringing your uh, reusable mug? Are you buying a paper cup every single time? Are you supporting the, the local coffee chain? Or are you supporting the bought-out Tim Hortons company chain? Um, it, it really does speak, speak wonders um, to people around you. So uh, every decision you make, it's got to be uh, through and through. Uh, you can't be faking it. Um, if you're faking it, you're in it for the wrong reasons, you're probably just in it for the money, which uh, you're going to burn out from that. Because uh, especially agriculture, if you're in agriculture and you're looking to make a lot of money, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Give up, go work on Bay Street. Um, because it, like I, I get a lot more value out of like I, I, I love the stock market. I, I, I play it myself personally and uh, I invest in sustainable stocks, of course, and I, they end up doing better for me in the long run. They're less volatile. And I, I use that example a lot to people, actually, um, just to showcase the power of sustainability, um, triple bottom line companies. Um, and that, I, I think, has also inspired me to have these types of uh, values uh, for Ripple Farms. It, it is a long-term game. I, I, I tell people a lot. We're, we're looking at the next 100 years. Uh, we're not thinking about the next quarter, uh, even though sometimes we should for the, for the balance sheet. Um, it really is, what, what's this company going to be like in 100 years? Uh, when we pass it off to our kids, um, what are they going to be able to do with it? And, and what social, environmental, and, and, and economic impacts are we going to leave behind? So, 
But we're kind of coming back to that hairy, audacious goal, which is such a great, great place to be. I mean, in terms of the, the culture, is it something that you've written down or is it something that is kind of ingrained just in everyone with you? I've seen so many debates about whether you should write your company culture down so that when you scale, you've got something to give other people. How, how have you done that? To be honest, that's a, that's a great idea to write it down. Um, we, uh, we kind of fell into it, I'd say a little bit, uh, the company culture. We, we didn't really have a plan. It was, it was, it was myself and Brandon for a long time. Um, I'd say a year and a half, at least a few people in and out. Uh, but we really, really didn't need anyone else uh, at that point until we actually got the, the means to scale up. Um, so we kind of, it, it fell into our lap, uh, the company culture that we've created. Um, there's been a few people that, that have joined the team that are on the team right now that are, that just get it. Um, we haven't had to tell them, uh, they just feel the energy. And I think it goes back to that, that mirroring, um, kind of where you're buying your coffee or how you're buying your coffee. Uh, it does reflect on, on your employees and your stakeholders and people hear about that. Uh, especially working in, in communities like, like we're doing. Uh, one of our office spaces is uh, uh, Center for Social Innovation. I'm, I'm usually there until um, 2 a.m. or something. But, <laughs> um, it, it's a fantastic organization. Um, a lot of different companies that are just willing to help, right? And uh, most of them have that social and environmental mission. Uh, a lot of not-for-profits there as well, but, but a lot of for-profits that just have that, that social mission. And so even being in that space, um, you, like you learn every day, uh, you see what the veterans are doing and, and how they've shaped the industry and, and you thank them sometimes, maybe not as much as you, you should, but um, it, it really is <clears throat> something my dad always kind of ingrained in me is be around people that are smarter than you. Uh, and I try to do that every single day. Um, I, I love being the, the stupidest person in the room because <laughs> All I have to do is, is go up. I, yep. I, I just get to learn and learn and learn. Um, and, and so I try to do that every day. Uh, sometimes it's not possible. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm getting off track now. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. And I think that that community value is something that's come across so strongly from quite a few of the conversations I've been having and the opportunity for cross-fertilization of ideas, cross-pollination, and actually just support, a shoulder to cry on yeah. or someone to lift you up. Yeah, it's been a number of times where obviously there, there's tough times, there's great times, and I, I love sharing the great times. We keep the, the, the bad times secret, but <laughs> um, really, it, it's there's been a few people at, at the, the in the community that, uh, that, that were trusted trusted sources that we can go to and, and say, you know what, I have this big dilemma, I have this opportunity, what what should I do? Have you been here before? And honestly, if you if you push it out to a couple trusted sources, one of them probably has been through it, and and. 10 out of 10 times for, for me personally, it, it's been the case where I have gotten that shoulder to cry on and, and get some great advice from people who have been through the situation before. And uh, it's not all rainbows and unicorns in, <laughs> in the social enterprise industry or, or world. It's, uh, it's you see the people on Bay Street and they're, we always see them as kind of greasy capitalists. They're, they're pushing for the dollar and, and all these things. And, and we can say all the words about them. Um, but really, it, sometimes it can get as greasy in the social enterprise world. It's, it's, it's cutthroat sometimes, and, and you have to be, uh, because we're fighting for something that, that is the future, uh, whereas a lot of people on the planet, I'd say majority, um, are either oblivious or, or just don't care. Um, they're looking for that economic gain, and, 
yes, you need the economic gain in this world and, and to drive your business, you have to be profitable. Uh, but thinking about that long term, that social impact and that environmental impact and, and what your neighbor's doing and, and helping support them, pick them up every once in a while and, and help them uh, kind of walk that line with you. Because uh, again, it goes back to the community. If we can all step forward together, um, then we have a lot more ammunition uh, against uh, feeding 9 billion people. Absolutely. And there's, there is that strength in numbers. I mean, it's interesting yeah. as well. There's what you're saying reminded me very much of a conversation I've had with some friends in the UK in the sort of social impact sector around needing to have a profitable business. And there are some people I've seen who've had brilliant ideas, the most amazing ideas, but it's become this passion project and they haven't had a business infrastructure or they've gone into it with 110% energy flying at it and then a year later because they haven't set a structure or they haven't supported themselves in the right way actually they hit that burnout and it fizzles and it it drowns i mean it really sounds like you're it does sound like you're going to avoid doing that yeah and that's that that's a big thing too is uh we had this master plan right off the bat and, and obviously that changes right um we we love the pivots um <laughs> pivots one of our favorite words we did the whole startup rodeo and um a lot of that those terminology yeah they, they come out there but um yeah it, we've pivoted a lot actually it might not seem like it um but we have had this master plan all along and into using this kind of stepping stone uh methodology uh business model to get where we want to go um really we're, we're two young entrepreneurs that started out in uh in, in a shipping container 20 foot um in in the heart of downtown and and we knew that's not going to feed everyone that's that's not a viable solution even though there's some of our competitors um trying to sell that technology uh we don't see that as a social mission we see that as a technology company okay but uh, really the, the the master plan here is to then uh to be using those as as um models to, to showcase the people the potential um also while educating them and inspiring them to get behind us or or, or walk with us sorry that get behind us is the wrong term but uh walk with us in, into the dark uh, per se and, and grow a lot of food because um, we are we are trying to scale up and, and we know a certain scale of, of what we need to be at um to grow food with within cities and uh, be profitable and, and it always does come back down to the uh, the economics of it all. Um, what do we need to do to be economical, uh, but also create that affordability? Uh, because talking about food security, it's affordability first and foremost, and then accessibility and so on and so on. But that, that affordability is, it, it is true with everyone in the world. Uh, the, the world is run off economics, and, and there's no way to get around that. Uh, I was talking with a friend the other day, um, I won't name her or anything, but uh, she she's kind of that diehard um, diehard hippie, we'll say, <laughs> and it frustrates me sometimes because yeah, she has great ideas and she'll be on the picket line and 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 I don't even know how to describe it. It's just very micro level, and and I I, I keep challenging her and I say, you know what, you have the heart of gold here. Um, I wish I could I could I could latch onto that, but what's your solution like are you just gonna be picketing on front lines for the rest of your life and, and doing minute solutions or are you actually gonna go to the source and actually tackle one big issue in your lifetime pick one thing and do it the best you can um, and that's what I think the, the solution is 
Uh, I could be wrong. And maybe I'll wake up in 20 years and say, ah, she was doing it right. But I think the issue is let, let's tackle it on a macro sense. Uh, let's go to the source. Uh, let's create that solution that's almost hidden to the consumer. Um, so creating a solution that's side by side. Uh, Ripple Farms had a lettuce. It was grown locally. It was grown with aquaponics. It was grown with love. And then I had a lettuce that's from Andy Boy uh, out of Mexico and um, is is detrimental to our soil and our, our climate change and, and all these things. Put those two side by side and, and you can tell the difference. Hands down, I know confidently, 10 out of 10 times, truly going to choose ours because it, it simply it's local. It, it looks better. I know it tastes better. And, and we need people to make that decision um, on their own. But it does come back down to economics. Uh, simply the Andy Boy lettuce, it's it's way too cheap uh, for us to compete with. And and that is the, the deciding factor in, in a lot of times. I'd say nine times out of ten. But uh, if we can actually get behind that methodology of going to the source and just providing a better product uh, to the consumer and, and them not really just even understanding what we're doing, they're just choosing a better product. And I think that's the, the methodology for, for success of climate change in general, but food security also. No, I think, I think you're absolutely right on that affordability issue. And again, it's certainly something I've noticed in the UK where there's been a big movement for local food or organic farming. And the price is triple, quadruple, sometimes even more, um, what you can get in the, the local supermarket. You really have to, to weigh up the different benefits and balances. And again, certainly here in the UK, there are a lot of people facing financial hardship. And it's a that just takes a completely different turn on how they choose foodstuffs. Do you pay probably about $4 um, a kilo for carrots or $1? Well, if you're not, if you haven't got a lot of money in your pocket, you're going to go for the one dollar. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're you're so right. It comes back to that that economics. I think I know what might, might come out, but I I really would love to know what advice you've got for anyone thinking about starting a social impact business in Ontario at the moment. And what are some of the biggest learning points that you've had in the last? Well, what's that? Nine months. So I always, uh, if you're a young entrepreneur, go talk to people. Um, <laughs> I, I was the young guy with a lot of ideas, um, and it wasn't until I just kind of opened my mouth, um, took that, down that barrier of, oh, some, someone's going to steal my idea. Chances are someone in the world has your idea already <laughs> and is acting upon it. Uh, so just go talk to people. Um, create mentors, um, people that are older than you or well, even younger. I have mentors that are younger than me that just have more experience and are just more successful. Um, just talk to them and ask for their help. Uh, there's nothing better and, or more heartwarming uh, than than someone asking you uh, to be their mentor. Uh, I, I've been asked a few times, and it's truly like they're actually looking for help, and they want to do something. And I'm happy to spend an hour of my time per week uh, to help that person out because they're asking for help. All you got to do is ask, talk about your ideas, and, and do something about it. Um, create that solution to a real world issue i say absolutely do it uh, we need more people um i think right now is actually the perfect time uh, especially if you're in the food space uh, and you have the right motivation and the right passion and maybe the right business partner um try not to do it alone i've done it before and it sucks you, you burn out pretty quick um you need that person or that stakeholder in your company or your, whatever your family you need that support network 
um, and it helps a lot when, when someone's in the thick of it with you. Uh, but anyways, won't get into that rabbit hole. Um, specifically, Ontario, um, if you're in the food space right now, they just released, I think, $1.4, $1.5 billion uh, through the CAP program. Um, it's really helping support agricultural-based uh, processing and production and uh, whatever it is. It's, uh, they know this is an issue coming about, and they're, they're getting ahead of it, uh, which I really appreciate the government doing. Uh, it's, it's definitely a noble, noble thing. Um, I think it's going to be a, a big winner in the future. I don't think a lot of people realize it right now. Uh, a lot of the people that are maybe more on the conservative side don't understand what's going on right now. Of course, they're mostly on the economic side and they don't believe in climate change, which puts me in a twine. Uh, I don't understand why people still fight climate change. Mm. It, the, the, the science is there. So I won't, again, too many rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> But uh, seriously, anyone looking to start a company in Ontario right now, um, in especially social enterprise, food space, absolutely. There's so many resources. Um, I'll be one for you. Um, <laughs> if anybody's listening, I'll, I'll be a support uh, for you. I'll make some connections. Uh, I, I do truly believe in entrepreneurship, uh, specifically in the food space. And if you're trying to challenge any kind of status quo and um, just, just find that issue that, that that gives you that passion, uh, but also is prevalent um, in the next hundred years. Uh, we really need to create this favorable outcome in our environment and um, socially in the next, let's say, ten years. But um, really, just tackle a real issue is my point. Um, don't go into entrepreneurship to make a bunch of money. Um, if you do what you love, the money will come. And it sounds cliche, uh, but really, it, as an entrepreneur who's been through the last two years. The money will come, and and it's it's to the point of not burning out. And if you burn out, nobody wins. Uh, but if you can keep going with it, even if it's that little passion or your business partner tapping you on the shoulder and saying, "Hey, we we did it. Uh, we we grew the the best head of lettuce in, in Toronto the other day." Um, <laughs> it it does keep you going. And and if you get going and you get that lucky break and and whatever it is, uh, you will you will make money. You'll live well. And, and I take solace in that, and I've seen the path forward. Um, but really, it's uh, it's a tough time, hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Um, but uh, definitely the most rewarding. Brilliant! I love I love it. No, yeah, I, I love the social impact space, and I'm really inspired. And actually, listening, yeah, listening to you, I'm even more inspired. So, yeah, I'm yeah. sure there are pe- people listening who I really want them to take action. And actually, I'd love to, I'd love to hear what people are people are doing. So, listeners out there. Yeah, get in touch. Let let us know how Stephen's words have landed. Now, what I want to know is what's next for Ripple Farms? Where are you going? So what's next? Uh, over the last few months here, we've been preparing for a, for a pretty big scale up. So we are currently actively seeking a location in the Toronto area. Uh, could be in a municipality surrounding Toronto as well um, to actually locate our, our next operation. Uh, so we're looking for uh, very specifically a, about a 10,000 square foot facility, um, about 20 foot uh, clear height and ceilings. And uh, we want to create a controlled uh, growing environment in there and, and really feed the city. Uh, it's going to be our largest operation. Uh, we want this to be in Toronto. We have a, we have a fantastic network, uh, especially our clients in Toronto, but also our education. Uh, we we want to teach as much uh, people as we can. Um, not only in aquaponics, but uh, some of the things we're rolling out are uh, really agricultural as a whole, and, and specifically urban agriculture. Um, I, I think it's something big coming about. 
Um, the governments are, are getting in line with it. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of the parallel industry in cannabis, um, but, but I think a lot, a lot of people are thinking about this now. Uh, so again, great time to be in it. Um, but uh, so Ripple Farms, we're looking to scale up. Uh, we need that 10,000 square foot facility, and, and we really need a landlord that's, that's conducive to, to what we're trying to do here. Um, it's very simple, straight, straightforward operations. We, we perfected it over the last two years. Uh, we have some biological innovation and some technological innovation I can't go into yet. We're, we're still in the IP phase, but um, it, it's going to be a game changer. And um, there's a few other people doing vertical farming in, uh, in the Toronto area. Google Sidewalk Labs is, uh, is popping out uh, in the Portlands uh, over the next few years, which if anybody from Google is listening, uh, we'd love to be a part of it. Um, <laughs> even Amazon, I know, uh, uh, you guys are doing some, uh, some big things and, uh, possibly moving into the Markham or Mississauga area. So, um, that would be fantastic as well. Um, I, I think the, the power of partnering with large organizations, um, I think a lot of people in the social enterprise space are not open to it. And I, I can't fathom why, um, they have a lot of the resources and the finances and, uh, the reach. To, to help young companies that, that have that passion because uh, something you can't buy is passion. Mm. Uh, it's come across my plate a few times, especially with friends that are entrepreneurs. Uh, a lot of people try to buy your passion and it, it's, it's not tangible. Uh, you can't do it. So you either have to work with me or do it your own. Um, so uh, any, any big companies out there, we'd love to partner with you. Um, it's uh, definitely a, uh, it would be a huge plus in our books, and, and we're happy to uh, bring our mission and, and help curb uh, some of your uh, your employees, maybe, and, and show them the, the positive way forward, maybe inspire some other people to start social enterprises. Uh, but that's really the, 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 the mission forward. Uh, with big companies or not, uh, we're, we're scaling up uh, to the large-scale facility. Uh, we're going to get that, that first flagship uh, in Toronto. And then there's a few locations around the Toronto area that we're, we're looking to set up shop, uh, but possibly making that cookie cutter system so we can scale that uh, anywhere in the world, but specifically across Canada uh, to set up shop and really feed people who need it the most. Awesome. And I mean, interesting you make that point about some social enterprises being concerned about partnering with bigger organizations. Do you think it's perhaps because those social impact leaders see themselves as having this big mission and the big passion and they've got the the big audacious goal and maybe they just believe that the big companies are only interested in the bottom bottom line and the dollars in the pocket and and let's be honest they are (laughs) (laughs) they're only interested in the bottom line usually um you might get an oddball that's uh that that's i don't know they they had a child and, and the child is pushing them to be i don't know more socially conscious or something um and and i think a lot of the the hesitation there is uh, to be tainted. Um, you've started, you've built this company as a social enterprise, and you don't want to be tainted by a, a bigger company that has didn't have that values before those those values before. Uh, but I think that's silly. Um, as long as the the structure is right, uh, talk to your lawyers. Get take your time with it. Don't rush into anything. Uh, but there's a lot of pros into those scenarios, and make sure you don't get lost in the weeds and. Uh, they don't buy you out and, and take all your take all your assets and, and leave you by the curb or anything. Uh, but to be able to, to tap into their vein um, and actually influence them in their decision making with your mindset and your values, you are directly affecting one of the largest or, or a large organization that has 
significant impact socially, environmentally, and economically on the global scale. How can you pass up that opportunity to inflict change on, on that massive of a scale and, and that short of a time period? Because I, I, I always talk about 100 years. If I, if I go out alone, yes, in 100 years, maybe I'll be a global uh, organization and I'll, I'll be that billion-dollar company with many assets and, and the, the decisions I make affect economies. Um, but I, I, I don't look for that. that that's, not, that's not something I'm, I'm driving towards. I'm just trying to grow a lot of food. And, and I know a certain, there's a certain, certain threshold, 9 billion by 2050, I'm, I'm going for it. Um, that's the amount of food I need. And so it, it, it's not all going to come from me. It's going to come from partners and com- competitors. And, and, and I gladly accept that. Um, but uh, again, it, be open to other people helping you out, even if that's uh, a big organization. Leave aside like ExxonMobil. Let's not work <laughs> with them or anything. But <laughs> like the, the, the favorable companies that are just yeah. large, maybe tech companies, it's, uh, they, they could have a great social mission or, or want to have a great social mission. They just don't know how to do it. So so very much about finding that that right partner, which I think is a brilliant piece of advice. Yeah. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. So obviously you're looking to create scale. You're now looking for the partner with the ten thousand square foot area that you can can move into. Assuming someone hasn't got that, what one action would you like listeners to take today that would help you to get to the next level? Yeah, specifically uh, for Ripple Farms, I'd, I'd say eat local food, specifically Ripple Farm food. Uh, <laughs> but we are in a situation where our demand has exceeded supply. We, we, we simply don't have enough food to feed um, the people who are asking for it. Um, so uh, really just kind of go on our social, um, tout about us, um, take some pictures if you do get a piece of our, our food. Uh, come down to the farmer's market at Evergreen Brickworks. We're, we're there every weekend. Um, have a conversation with us. Um, if it's about a company you want to start or if it's uh, asking us questions about what we're trying to do in the future, uh, we're happy to always have a conversation. Uh, it really does start with a conversation, but um, really high level. We are uh, always looking for money. Um, that, that, that's a big driver, economics. Um, so if there's any investors out there that are uh, open to this, uh, this style of business, uh, maybe saving in the world, uh, let's, let's have a conversation. Uh, but also uh, land. Uh, land is uh, in, in desperate need. Uh, even condo developers, um, we're, we, we've had a few conversations uh, with uh, a couple developers in, uh, in the Toronto area. Uh, it is something we're, we're very open to. And most people think we're actually looking for the rooftop, uh, which is, yeah, sure, we'll take the rooftop. But give us your basement. Okay. We'd love to take your basement. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to be in the forefront. Uh, it'll still attract people to your, your residence. Um, but we can grow food for your entire building if you've given us enough space in your basement. So, nice. Kevin, not ask, but uh, <laughs> I hope somebody hears that. <laughs> Fantastic. And so I suppose that leads into the, the final question of how can people get in contact with you to continue this conversation, to ask for help or to offer the help? Yeah, so we have uh, a couple members of, members of our team, and, and one of them is me, uh, that actually gets the contact form on our website uh, directly to our emails. So uh, we check that on a daily basis. We, we try not to let anything slip through. Um, I know my email is pretty much out there in, in the world right now, so I, I, I'm happy to throw it out right now. Awesome. <laughs> so it's sborn, B-O-U-R-N-E, just like the movies, <laughs> at ripplefarms.ca. Uh, so happy to take any uh, emails. Um, please, uh, I, I'm kind of crazy about email structure, so please <laughs> be conscious of that. 
Um, but uh, yeah, always, uh, again, it comes back to let's start a conversation. Didn't you love that phrase, built Canadian strong? <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephen, for a wonderful conversation. I've loved learning about Ripple Farms and what you, Brandon, and the team are, are all up to. The more of these I do, the more inspired I'm getting about the social impact space in Ontario. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface, and I'd love to know more. I'd love to hear your stories out there. I'd love to hear if you know a company that I really should feature. So get in contact. Reach out via email, neil at onsocialimpact.com, or via Twitter, at onsocialimpact. I'd love to know what you think, and of course, if you do get a moment, do rate the podcast as well. That helps me to get better and helps more people to discover the amazing stories and the amazing guests that I'm able to feature here. So thank you for staying with me. Thank you for being part of the journey. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. And until then, just keep changing the world. Thank you.